As we continue studying the Lord's Prayer this summer, I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, towards the back. If you find yourself in Mark, Luke, or John, you've gone a little bit too far. Head back to Matthew chapter 6. We'll also be including today verses 14 and 15 because they're essentially the conclusion of Jesus' teaching on how to pray, and they go best with the line that we are studying today with forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But before we open the scriptures, before we study God's word together from Matthew 6, let's pray together. O Lord, our God, be with us in this hour. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. May we hold on to what we know to be true, but may we listen for your voice, convicting us, challenging us, encouraging us, and sustaining us. Lord, in the reading of your word, may your Holy Spirit be alive and active in our hearts and minds, that our souls may yield to you and to you alone. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'd invite you to make a fist, and you're going to hold it for a while, and so if this causes you pain from arthritis or in some way affects your heart, then don't do it. You have a free pass. But if the above conditions are not true and you'd like to play along, I invite you to make a really tight fist, or grip the pew in front of you if you want, and hold on to it as tight as you can. Now keep holding it. Keep holding that fist as hard as you possibly can. Give it your strongest grip, and you'll realize that after not too long, your hand has tingles in it, and your arms begin to shake. If you're really putting your full effort into the grip, your arms start to shake. You're using your whole arm to sustain this grip. And if you keep doing this for too long, your face will turn red, and you will get tired. So now if you're still holding the grip, I'm really impressed, and I invite you now to release your grip. Open your fist. Let the blood throw, flow through your fingers again, or not flow. I don't know the physiological component of that. But holding a fist 
There's power, there's strength, and it's also exhausting. And when you open again, there's a sense of relief that's given to your hand. When your fist is opened, when you release the grip that you had, when you hold a tight fist and then release it, you are doing your own object lesson for the most literal meaning of the word that Jesus used when he taught us to pray in this way, saying, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The Greek word is afiemi, which sounds very beautiful, I think, afiemi. But it means most literally to release, not to let go of, and there's theological reason for that, because God forgives us, he releases us from the bondage of our sin, but God does not let go of us. He will never leave us or forsake us, but will be with us to the end of the age. But to be forgiven, to experience this afiemi, this release from God, is this opening of one's hand. It is to release something that you're holding in great pressure and tension. To release is the word. And it's a specific word for forgive, for forgiveness, for essentially releasing. In the same way that prisoners are released, they have been set free. To release is to open one's hand. The open hand, the release. And so maybe when you pray the Lord's Prayer this week, when you get to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, just for a moment, make a tight fist and then release your fist. Open it up once again. We are sinners by nature, and therefore we are justifiably under the wrath of God. And our sin clings to us, and it tries to hold on to us with a tight grip. And just as our sin tries to hold on to us with a tight grip, so it is also that God, who is holy, who who cannot tolerate sin, who cannot allow it to be part of God's existence, God also holds us in his hands with a tight grip because of our guilt, because of our sin, because of our wrongs, both that which we have done that we should not have and that which we did not do that we should have. These things have a tight grip on us. And therefore, God's wrath has a tight grip upon us. But when we pray, forgive us our debts, praying that daily to God, forgive us our debts, we are asking God to open his hand and to release us, to release us from his wrath, to release us from the penalty of our sin, which is death. And this is all accomplished through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who paid the price, who paid the penalty for us, that God, who could hold on to us with judgment, forgives us our debts and therefore releases us and opens his hand. To release, most literally, is to open hand. And in that way, we are forgiven. We have to wonder... Sin has its grip on us in this way. And there's a somewhat philosophical distinction to be made here. 
Maybe one that we wonder about this morning on why Harper, this, this innocent baby, why we claim that she also needs to be forgiven by Jesus Christ. And so the question is, do we sin because we are sinners or are we sinners because we sin? Do we sin because we are sinners or are we sinners because we sin? Now, this is a slight philosophical distinction, and if, and if that's not your cup of tea, that's fine. Uh, pull out a pen, draw some tractors on your bulletin. That's what I always did when I didn't pay attention in church. I pay attention now. And I hope you do too. But the distinction is this. And this happens in baptism when we recognize that we're we are making the promises of Jesus Christ and his forgiveness for Harper even. A young, a sweet, a playful, and, and, and I think in many ways hilarious kid. We do so not because she has done all of these horrible, malicious things already. Not because she has already committed all of these sins that are really, really bad and she should have known better somehow. She doesn't become a sinner because she sins. But we, all of us, sin because we are sinners. We sin because we are sinners, because we were born into a fallen and broken world that is marked by sin. And therefore, from the moment of our conception, from the moment of our birth, sin has its grip upon us. And therefore, God also has his grip upon us. We sin because we are sinners. It is the nature of our humanity that we are born into because of the results of sin in the world. And so we sin because we are sinners. We aren't sinners because we sin, though we do sin. But the opposite of that would be to think, well, eventually, if you worked really, really hard at not sinning, you would no longer even need to ask for forgiveness because you could sin so little that you would no longer be considered a sinner. Oh, and wouldn't that be great? But that's not true. That's not how we understand the effects of sin in the world. That's not how we read the scriptures to know that we sin because we are sinful by nature. And it's not hard to find this articulated throughout the long codes of laws in the Old Testament, particularly in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. It's not hard to see this rephrased in the New Testament, like in letters like to Romans, where the Apostle Paul in Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We did this because we are sinners, sinner by, sinners by nature. Or to use... A letter from 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We are born into this sinful nature. Our default mode is sinful, and there's no saving act of grace that we can do for ourselves on our own. So even with a child even with one who we don't have a long list of the things that she has done wrong or that he has done wrong, even with a child being born into this world, we come to the waters of baptism where we are cleansed, purified, 
refreshed and sustained by Jesus Christ, who died for us even while we were still sinners. For we love because Christ first loved us. In baptism, we celebrate the promise that Jesus paid the price for us, and that because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, God's hand upon our debt of sin has been released, has been opened. Consider the words of the song in Christ alone. Sin's curse has lost its grip on me. Sin's curse has lost its grip on me because Christ has satisfied the wrath of God. And so in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, forgive us our debts. And we pray this daily. We pray this daily, even the most faithful saints, even the youngest of children, we pray this daily for our nature, knowing that we are sinners. And so we pray to be released from this debt in a daily way, reminding us that God has forgiven us once and for all. Open your grip upon us, O God. Forgive us our debts. Now, maybe before we go any further, some people might have been wondering for a while, why is it that we say, forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, And sometimes, if you go somewhere else, they'll say what? Trespasses. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And if a word of instruction is not given at the beginning of the prayer, it's kind of this fun jumble in the middle when we get to that line. Because the debts and debtors people have fewer syllables than the trespasses and those who trespass against us. And so we kind of mingle our words a bit, and then we come back all together for and lead us not into temptation. Why, why is it debts for some and trespasses for others? Interestingly enough, um, both words are used in this section of Matthew chapter 6. In the Lord's Prayer piece, the word is debt. It's ophelamata, uh, meaning what you owe or what you ought or what you must. Primarily, the word is owe. It's a very economic word. It's a debt, plain and simple, that you owe. However, the word for trespass in Greek is what's used in those two verses following the Lord's Prayer, in verses 14 and 15. And language changes over time. And so when William Tyndale, in the early 1600s, was translating the Bible into English, Tyndale said trespasses across the board. He saw that it was debts up here and trespasses down here, and decided that the meaning would be simplest if it was just translated trespasses the whole way down the line, even though there's different words. And so that tradition has been passed on to us in some areas where we say trespasses. The distinction is that it's debts in the Lord's Prayer, and trespasses is the more direct word that follows. Hence, after William Tyndale's English translation wasn't the only one, we adopted debts and debtors. And that is the word that Jesus used, and it's the way that he meant to teach it to us. For the Jews, from anyone from an Aramaic culture, to understand debt as sin was a very easy connection. A debt is something that you owe. Your sin is what you owe, your debt, to God. And when we think about this on a cosmic level, 
Debt isn't just a payment, but it's a great note that we have, something that we owe to God. And as we consider the seriousness of our sin to better understand the beauty of God's grace, it should be noted for us that the debt that we owe on behalf of our sin is one that we cannot pay. We don't even have the currency to make a payment upon the debt that we owe to God. We don't have the currency for it. It's not like student loans that you plug away at or a car payment or a mortgage, something that if you work hard, if you're diligent, if you're careful, you can gradually chip away at these loans and pay them off yourself through your own hard work and diligence. But the debt that we owe to God is not that kind of debt. It's not one that we have the currency for. We cannot make a payment on that debt on our own. Not on our own righteousness, not on our own good works, not on our own reputation of how wonderful we all are. We don't have the currency to make a payment on the debt that we owe God. Jesus, though, reminds us that we pray to God, forgive us our debts. Forgive us of this debt that we cannot pay on our own. And then we also will forgive our debtors, those who owe us. We can't just work our way out of this debt. We can't work away at our sin. Because works aren't the currency to pay back the Lord of the universe who is holy. But we freely accept forgiveness from God. Grace is a forgiveness offered to us in a currency that we are bankrupt in. But yet we are given God's grace and we are forgiven of our debts, the debts that we owe to God. And this is through Jesus Christ upon the cross. And we celebrate that in baptism as well. Now for many of us, if you ever receive a gift that you weren't expecting your immediate thought is, okay, I don't want to owe somebody because if they've given me a gift and I haven't reciprocated, I need to figure out a way to give them a gift. That way, they do, that way I don't owe them. I wonder if a few of us think that way. But we can't pay back God. We can't find a currency to pay God back for what he has given to us, for the forgiveness of debts, for the opening of his hand, for the release of our debt. But there is a response that we have. And Jesus partners that response in the prayer. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. This we do not because we can pay God back. And we don't do it as an act even of generosity towards others who maybe we deep down don't think deserve our forgiveness. And yet... We forgive others their debts. And we do this as a response, as gratitude towards God's forgiveness for us. And if we don't forgive others, because we say they're not, they don't deserve our forgiveness, or they haven't apologized to us, then have we not understood what it meant that God forgave us while we were still sinners? Christ died for us before we apologized to God for our sin, Christ died for us. 
No one owes us an apology. We're not entitled to anyone's apology. But if we have accepted Christ's forgiveness, then we are called to show forgiveness and grace and mercy to those around us. And if we start to argue on if they deserve it or not, then Jesus would turn the question back on us and ask if we deserved his forgiveness or not. Jesus expounds on this idea in Matthew chapter 18. There's a lot about forgiveness in Matthew chapter 18. And I want to pick up at verse 21, where Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And I think Peter thinks he's being pretty generous, but he wants to know the limit. Jesus answered in verse 22, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him, there was a debt to be paid, who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Note that he would be sold into slavery because he couldn't pay this debt to his master. Verse 26 continues, At this the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had upon you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. When we receive God's forgiveness, we are called to live with forgiveness and grace and mercy with those around us. Because the comparison is too great. And Jesus makes it so in the parable where the man who owes 10,000 bags of gold, I mean, in technical terms, I think he owes him a bazillion dollars. And then it's 100 silver coins is the other debt. The man who is forgiven much could not find in his heart to even forgive little, even though the begging was the same. And I like that Jesus adds in, forgive from your heart. It's as if Jesus knew how we would fight with our siblings in the future, when we're maybe forced to give an apology that we don't really want to. But what Jesus is after is our hearts, not empty actions or hollow words, but after our hearts, to make sure that when we forgive people, 
It is coming from our heart. Not just say it like you really mean it, but actually mean it. Because God actually meant his forgiveness of you when Jesus Christ died upon the cross to pay our debt, which was far more than 10,000 bags of gold. We are called to be people of grace because we have received God's love as people of grace. When we hold on tightly to grudges, it doesn't hurt the other person, but it does hurt us. And God knows our hearts. He knows the dark places where we are unwilling to forgive our neighbor, unwilling to forgive our brother or sister, unwilling to forgive those who have wronged us. But we are called to not live in this way. We hold on to the future of a relationship by letting it be defined by the past. Maybe we're waiting for the apology. Maybe we're waiting to heal up a little bit. Maybe we just don't think that we can ever get over this one. Now, most of us wouldn't say that we go around carrying grudges. But if we spend time in prayer, we can find where grudges are found. They're found when we believe that the current circumstances of our relationship will always define that relationship. And in that way, we extend our grip on the future, defining it by the wrongs that have been done. Jesus did not define our future by our sins or by what we have put behind us through repentance. Jesus defined our future by the grace he gave us and then also, in response, by the grace that we show others. For our forgiveness begins as a response to our being forgiven. It is not so much an act of generosity towards our fellow offending humans as it is an act of gratitude toward our forgiving God. When we have experienced forgiveness, we are also able to forgive Holding grudges, as a wise elder said earlier this week, is like drinking poison and hoping that somebody else dies from it. When we cannot forgive, when we hold on to our hurts, to our hatred, we're poisoning ourselves, but we're really hoping that somebody else dies from it. That's not the cycle of grace and forgiveness that God called us to, or to define the future by past hurts. We have to release our grip. We have to not drink the poison of grudges, but to open our hearts, truly. Where is it in your life that it's hard to forgive? What is it that's hard to let go of? Maybe a word that was said to you or not said that you were hoping would have been. Maybe an action that was done or not done to or for you. Maybe it's something small, like a forgotten birthday. Maybe it's something large, like betrayal at a deep level of your soul. There's all kinds of wrongs that we can hold on to. But there's all kinds of things that God can hold against us, and yet we pray daily, forgive us our debts. Release us from that which we do not have the currency to pay. And maybe through God's grace, we find that currency to forgive 
our brothers and sisters, both within and outside of the church. That is the way of Jesus, who forgave us while we were still sinners. God has promised us new life, life not defined by our actions or by our past, but by our ability to forgive. As the church, we are people of grace, for we have received grace. May we also be known by reputation in word and thought and deed that from our hearts, we are people who extend grace. Amen. Let's pray. God, you have shown the fullness of your love through your Son, Jesus Christ. You have extended us grace upon grace, even though we did not deserve it. And we often fall back into our sins. We backslide into old patterns, old habits, old ways of thinking, and old words that you know we have been called away to from. And yet you forgave us. Lord, may we find in our hearts a measure of the grace that you have shown to us that we may forgive others their debts because you, Lord, have forgiven us our debt. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. This time, the deacons will come forward and collect the morning's tithes and offerings. We invite you to sign and pass the fellowship pads at the end of your row. Deacons, please come.